Due to the nature of some of the scenes in It Follows, this episode includes discussion of sexual assault. If you need immediate or long-term support after a sexual assault, you can call the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline at 800-656-HOPE to be connected with confidential assistance in your area. Hello and welcome to Movie Ghoul Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for the third entry in Movie Ghoul Round 2021, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited. I'm, I hope everybody liked it. If they didn't, they're wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, David Luzader, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Hopefully, we're going to finish this up in about like 20 minutes because that's about the head start I have on the thing that's following me. And, uh, there's not a second exit to this room, so it'd be really good for me. Always have a second exit. Always have an exit plan. I could go out that window, but I'm on the second story, so. Mm, it might be preferable. Yeah, it's, so. it's an option. It's an option. Very good. Well, reminder, Movie Ghoul Round is our fun uh, thing that we do every single October, and this month is no different. We are doing all horror films, and we decided that we needed one of our resident horror experts to come in second time on the podcast. So he can be a resident expert. We'll have him more often because he's so much fun. Uh, but Patrick Walsh, host of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. Uh, Patrick, welcome back to the show. Hi, Movie Go Rounders. I'm so excited to be back. We are excited to have you. Last time we were here, we subjected you to Halle Berry's Catwoman, which has come out in the feed recently because we are so behind. So You promised uh, me you wouldn't bring that up again, Brett. You promised me. I know. Dark times. Dark, dark, dark times. That might even... That wasn't necessarily pre-COVID, but it's... Man... Catwoman. <laughs> okay. But you know what? Uh, before we announce this week's movie that is from Nicole, let's announce next week's movie, which is from David. David, it is your responsibility to bring us an around the world pick next week. What are we watching? Yes. So I am not as um, uh, immersed in horror as, as both you and Nicole, but there is a film that came out within the last couple of years that's a, a psychological horror film that I think has a lot to mine and discuss that is The Platform. Ooh, excellent choice. Yes, and it is a, a Netflix original, at least in the sense that they bought it from whoever made it. So it's definitely on Netflix. <laughs> yes, yes. And let me look up because I... Is it, is it a Spanish film? I, 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 I know it's in Spanish, but I want to look up the uh, country of origin just to be just to be sure. It's from Spain. Okay, Spain, yeah. Uh, excellent. Cool. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I watched it with English dub. This time I'll go around and watch it with their actual voices. I, I assume that's going to be everyone's preference. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. But I remember, for what it's worth, English dub was not half bad. So... There is that. But Nicole, this week you picked 
It Follows. It came out in 2014, so it is indeed eligible for a future classics. After teenager Jay sleeps with her new boyfriend for the first time, she learns that he has passed on a fatal curse that is transmitted via sex. At all times, an entity that wants to kill her will walk inexorably toward her, appearing as a friend or a stranger, but not visible to anyone who has not been so cursed. Jay's friends don't believe her paranoid-sounding fears until they begin to see evidence of the assailant and band together to help Jay survive. Nicole, why are we watching It Follows? Give us the elevator pitch on why it's a future classic. Because I believe that this is one of those movies that is a game changer in horror. I really think that looking back, it's going to be looked at kind of like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street in that it drops this new concept into people's brains. And they're like, oh, oh, what would that be like? What, you know, it's sort of a, it's a new kind of monster. It's a new kind of stalker. It's a new kind of, I suppose you could call it a slasher, but it's really way more dread filled than that supernatural plus it is so well executed that i really think it's going to stand the test of time very good now i believe everyone here had seen it david had you seen it yes yes this was a movie that there had been enough talk about from people i trust and liked that i i decided to give it a shot and i'd heard that while intense it wasn't so much scary uh, so I was, you know, I didn't have to, didn't have to hide behind a pillow the whole time. A couple of like small jump scares, but yeah. nothing, nothing big. Yeah. So this film was made on a one point three million dollar budget. Went on the gross about twenty times that. So mm-hmm. it did quite well, both critically and financially. Yeah. But I do want to throw the the ball straight to you, Patrick, as our guest, because you mentioned in our show doc, you know, one of your favorite things in a horror movie is a cast that you don't recognize because you have no preconceived notions of what they can do or how the movie will play out. And this is very much the case. I, I don't know any of these people. And and they're, to my understanding, I mean, probably independent young actors in a movie that's not particularly well-funded. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things with the horror genre is that, I mean, like with any other thing, you, you see the same people over and over and movie horror movie lovers want them to play the same roles over and over so when you see danielle mm-hmm. harris kane hotter um you know even jamie lee curtis you know exactly what you know if danielle harris danielle harris shows up in a movie you know she's going to be the final girl jamie lee curtis is never going to die that guy's <laughs> always going to be the villain that right. sort of a thing robert uh, robert england is always going to be the bad guy or have something creepy about him but this movie i said i don't know where this is going to go because i don't know any of these people and they could do anything mm-hmm yeah. Yes, absolutely. And we have seen Micah Monroe once before, I believe, for the guest. Didn't we do the guest? No, we did the invitation. We did not do the guest. Yeah, we have not done the guest. No, I've seen the guest, but yeah. I hadn't seen it until after I saw this movie. Yeah, and she she plays Jay, the, the lead in this movie. Mm. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, it, it's a shockingly competent cast because you know one thing i would kind of hit back on that sometimes is if you do get those actors that are very green and we don't have those preconceived notions of them they sometimes aren't great actors and they're just not seasoned in what it is yet and and i think horror acting in particular especially if you want to do a great horror movie and not something campy you, you have to be a very good actor and and i actually do feel that everyone in this movie is, has very strong performances throughout i don't especially um 
gosh, what's his name? Our potential incel that we'll talk about later. Paul. Paul. <laughs> There's Paul. a lot going well, on with Paul. <laughs> that's uh, Keir, Keir David Peters Gilchrist. Or Keir Gilchrist. He's got a great character face, too. Great character face. Yeah, yeah. He kind of, he's giving me the heebie-jeebies a little bit toward the end. And I, uh, <laughs> I just, I think he's a great actor. Uh, yeah. this, this movie does have some very strong performances. No, none of these actors had been household names. I would argue they still largely are not household names, but they, they were all working actors. Um, Paul, who we mentioned before, had been, wor- had been working for like a decade. Like he'd been in stuff for like a decade. So, it, it was people that were not um, completely unknown quantities in the sense of like, can they act? I don't know. Like they had some some history to them, but yeah, it was. And also for a one million dollar budget movie, like these are the kind of act- actors you're going to get. And the casting, though, they did a great job of getting, uh, you know, getting great great char- actors for the characters. And you know, Micah Monroe has that great deadpan, empty, hollow look without being boring. Um, yes, that's important. Which is a very like fine line to tread. And at the time of filming this, what this came out in 2014, so that would mm-hmm. have been seven years ago. I mean, she was 21 years old, so she was within the ballpark of being age appropriate for a fresh college student, yeah. which I think is also really helpful because you do get a lot of horror movies with the you know 40 year old, 18 year old. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. They're almost all age appropriate. Um, the guy playing Paul was 22. The girl playing the younger sister was 17. The only person who was sort of above the age limit was the girl playing Yara. She was 25 at the time. Yeah, but but it, with movies, it's not how old you are. It's how old you look. That's the important right. thing. And they all look right. Yeah, Right. And she looks very young, especially with the big glasses on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They were hiding her crow's feet. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. At 25. Yeah. So this it's a movie. Tough, in- tough industry, David. <laughs> it's a it's tough true. industry. So this movie, uh, I, I actually want, I am going, Patrick, I'm going to let you rant right off the bat <laughs> oh, because boy. I want people to hear this at the beginning rather than the end because this is one of those movies where even before I saw it, I knew it was or at least in the cultural lexicon, it was the the STD follows you around movie. And like that's how people colloquially refer to it. And I know it's more than that, and you know that too, but you have a rant prepared for it. So I'm going to let you take it away. This infuriates me on a couple levels. It infuriates the English teacher inside of me because (laughs) if – E, I mean, if you're going to – the thing I hear all the time, oh, it's an AIDS metaphor. It's an AIDS metaphor. It's an AIDS metaphor. And okay, here's the thing. I'm HIV positive. I'm not shy about it. I'm not ashamed of it either. I'm a longtime survivor. It's coming up on 20 years now. So don't come at me with this F, this nonsense. For one thing, it's such an easy, obvious metaphor. This movie is so meticulously crafted. Do you think he spent all this time making sure every single prop was perfect to tell the story he wanted to tell? Do you make every single reference every little movie clip you see on a tv screen anywhere it's driving the plot somehow or setting something up for later on you think he did that much work just to make the most obvious metaphor it's like every time in a movie somebody puts their arms out you go oh it's a christ metaphor now no 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 <laughs> and i find it insulting i find it insulting it perpetuates this aids myth that all we want to do is run around and infect people and it's appalling, and it doesn't even work out logically, because in this movie, in order to survive, you have to infect somebody else. That's not how the disease works. Right. That's not how the disease works. I mean, if anything else, it's a morality play on how basic 
What's the word I'm looking for? Primal instincts, like the most primal lizard brain instinct is to remain alive. And how in this movie, that turns you into a monster. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And this is a movie where that happens slowly. I mean, David, you you put in our docket, did Jay have boat sex? Because it's very (laughs) heavily inferred. And like that, but that is like the breaking moment is that there is a moment where she transfers it on realizes that it has now fallen back to her again because long-haired jean jacket dies. Correct. And now she has to find someone who will easily let her move it on because she's so beaten down by this thing and so just physically and mentally destroyed by it. And it, and it turns her into something that she never wanted to be in the beginning, um, at least or so you can infer from that scene. Uh, yeah. It is a lot more than that. And, and, and I do think it's one of those... I always joke with David that... Uh, here comes David. That uh, Guillermo del Toro just made a fish sex oh movie. My gosh! But that movie is so much more than that. But that's yeah. all people know about the movie. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. No, it's true. I covered it on the show last year, and my guest when she came on, she said, "All I heard about this movie was that it was a." I was gonna, I was gonna make you use the bleep button. It was a fish sex movie. <laughs> and she came on. She said, "It was a, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was the most queer thing I've seen in yes. ages." Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There was something about, uh, I think I seen the director who also wrote the movie talking about when he was making the film and he was like, every time I tried to explain to people, it just sounded so stupid. So he's like, so I stopped trying to explain it to people. And so, cause I think like it gets down boiled that thing of like, so it's just like an, like an STD. It was like, no, like it's so much more than like, than that. And like, sure. We're playing with like some similar idea, but yeah, I, I don't blame him for just being like, I don't, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Yeah, just yeah, to see I- the film. Yeah, like if you want to go for a metaphor, I would say maybe it's a metaphor the pu- of the puritanical view of sex that abides in this country. Of this big, horrible, lurking thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's bad. It's going to get you, and it's going to kill everybody you know. I know. We were... <laughs> We we were watching this in my household, and you know, it's my- change you and turn you into a you know a horrible person. You'll never be the same. You lost your innocence, and Jesus will hate you. <laughs> uh, we were watching it in my household with my fiance, and uh, you know, she comes from a very small, very conservative town in the middle of nowhere outside of Chicago, and she went through a high school experience that is abstinence only training. Oh and, no! You know, and 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 we were sitting there watching this, and she's like, "Yeah, they could show this. <laughs> this would freak them out." <laughs> um, like, and it's you're right. It, it is so much more than all that. And you know, uh, Patrick, you also pointed out in our document. You know, it, it taps into those primal fears you mentioned. And one of your favorites is that you're suddenly not on the top of the food chain anymore, and that we're not as a species accustomed to being hunted. And no. that is the scary part of this movie to me is that while David mentioned earlier, it doesn't have the jump scares, it doesn't really have the gore very much. It has that that you know omni like omnipresent feeling of it's always right around the corner. We're on the roof, and. You can never escape. You are no longer at the top of the food chain, and there is no way to get away from this thing. And quite frankly, I don't really what, know what they were hoping to accomplish totally at the end, but I guess you got to try something. <laughs> so <laughs> I got that. We'll come back to that. But no, you're we'll, absolutely we'll come back right. to that. One of those, it's when I was watching it, I'm going, you know what? We are really not equipped to deal with any kind of situation like this. We are very comfy where we are on the top of the food chain. We don't, our only natural defense against predators is our brains. Mm that's our best defense yeah. that teaches us to make weapons. It teaches us to make strategies. It teaches us to study things, you know, study how these animals behave. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. That's our main defense. It doesn't really work here because it's a, the thing is what I figured out this time around. I said, this thing not only has targeted you and no matter where you go, 
it knows where you are. It's not looking for you. It knows where you are, and it also knows your head. Because yeah. as the movie goes on, like I always say, that this is a sec- you know watch it twice movie because the second time you watch it, you catch a lot more. Yes. Like how many times? Like what it's manifesting as? Because it can look like anybody, but it will probably come at you as someone you love. So it knows who you love, and it knows how to. It's a very scary thing. So it might. It always knows where you are. It knows that's a very scary. We don't have natural defenses. Right. We don't have shells. We don't have claws. Right. We don't have you know fangs. We don't have poison that comes out of our mouth or anything. Right. We don't change colors to disappear. Yeah, and and I didn't catch it the first time I saw this a while back that the the version of it that is throwing all the electronics in the pool at her is her dad, mm-hmm. and I didn't yeah. catch that till seeing it this time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, if you go back, the, which makes it a lot scarier. <laughs> the yeah. first time that you see it, where you see you know Jeff slash Hugh and Jay together, it's. It's Jeff's mom, mm-hmm. the naked woman walking right. across the railroad tracks, uh, yeah. you know, and you see the father and you see and it manifests as Greg's mother. And I think the naked man on top of the house is Jay's grandfather. Mm-hmm. He was in a picture. And at one point it comes as her paper boy, the creepy kid that's been spying on her in the, it went, like looking through a window <sighs> and watching her swim. Right. Paper These boy. Are all, <laughs> and also when you realize how it kills. Oh, I yeah. Mean, Mm-hmm. Get the bleeper ready. It fucks you to death. Yeah? yeah. Your mom is coming to fuck you to death. Your dad is coming to fuck you to death. That little kid who delivers the newspaper is about to kill you with his ding dong. That's <laughs> up. Yeah. And it's it's such a juicy death. <laughs> like it's so liquidy. Yeah, I didn't catch that the first time. That that's what it was doing i mean you know i could see that the one when it manifests as greg's mom that it's you know it's there's gyrations yeah it's gyrating on him but they're not nude you know from the waist down she's just sort of grinding on him but there's this liquid coming out Mm. of her Mm. there was liquid coming out of the girl in the kitchen and i'm wondering if it like dissolves you from the inside or do you know, poisons you or what it is that it does i mean his whole face turns ghostly pale well, when he's dead i'm sticking with mine because annie the first girl who dies at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. when you see her dead body the only real wound that you see is that her neck her, her, her leg has been snapped back at the knee so it's going the wrong oh, way oh god <laughs> like yeah and you go, oh, that's horrible. And then when I watched it the second time, I went, oh, my God, that's why the leg is broken like that, because it was raping her. That's, oh. that's horrific. Well, can we can we talk about that that opening scene? Um, I know, Nicole, you put Oof. something in there about how, like, it it trains the audience early. Right. Um, but watching it this time, like, now knowing the film, that is a, a perfect horror movie opening scene. Yes. It, it is just beat perfect, and it does exactly what you need it to do it builds that suspense you know you have the the girl running around it doesn't show us the monster which it'll proceed to do for the rest of the movie but that's fine that it does because we're not infected yet so we can't right, see it right oh ooh, hey nice um but also like we as the audience like now we're waiting like what 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 killed her what happened what's coming like what is this it like how is it following and heard this whole thing of sitting on the beach and giving that final call to the family while she's waiting for something and you're like why isn't she running more why isn't she trying to fight it off or something and she then done. just smash cut to her dead body it's it's just it's so good 
what I love to, and this this is this is a fun psychological thing because I've seen it a lot. I saw it with early preview audiences long before it opened. I've seen it in the theaters and I've seen it a few times since. There's that gorgeous shot. This movie loves its wide angle lens and it uses it really yes, well. Lord does it. I said yeah. in my notes <laughs> that this is a movie that I wish everybody could see on the big screen because one of the things that it built in when it's on the big screen like that, there's so much negative space. You learn really on. Your eyes can't take in the whole screen at once, so you're always scanning, looking for it. See that mm, little motion right. happening in the right. background? It builds this paranoia that you don't get on the small screen. But that scene where she's sitting on the beach and she's talking to her dad, and there's just all this black water behind her and this gorgeous, gorgeous shot, people will swear that they see something moving in the water coming towards her. There's nothing there. There isn't anything there, yeah. but people will swear to God that they see it. Interesting. And and that's a fascinating take because having only ever seen this on the small screen, I, I did make a comment in our docket where, you know, I, I still think this movie could be a, a smidge shorter. I, I think that I think there are so many lingering wide angle shots of her sleeping, sitting on top of the car, looking at the forest, staring at the trees. And like, there's a lot of that in this movie. <laughs> they're not as effective. On, exactly. Yeah, like like said, to that you, point, you if, I'm, if I'm scanning that in a yeah. theater, I could see that being a lot more effective. But in the household... Yeah. It's it's a little bit of a little it bit was of claustrophobic drag. in the theater. See, I don't. I, That's interesting. Yeah, I disagree on that. And it's rare that I will ever disagree that a movie should be shorter. I'm okay. usually the one coming in, cut twenty minutes of this. But that like the melancholy of it drives yeah. so much of the tension for me. Right. Yeah, lets the dread build. It mm-hmm. lets you know. It lets you see that. You can kind of watch in almost in real time as the hopelessness sets in, mm-hmm. as they realize the gravity of the situation and the mm-hmm. fact that they will never, ever, ever be able to put enough distance between you and it that you don't have to worry about it again. There's and no way to do it. At some point, I'm going to have to sleep. Right. <laughs> you're going to have to sleep. Your body's going to betray you. And also, your head doesn't do what the camera does in this movie. We don't have a 360 degree angle uh, swivel on our necks like an owl. <laughs> we can't be looking in all directions and all the time. You, you are, it's just one of those things. At some point, you're going to be extremely vulnerable, and that's probably when it's going to get you. Though, in, in classic, you know, horror movie style, she always seems, not always, but she does make a couple questionable decisions when trying to escape from it. She's all too quick to go upstairs rather than out of the house and into rooms that she locks herself in rather than wide open spaces right next to those rooms that she can run away knowing that all this thing can do is slowly walk toward her. But I guess, I mean, I don't know if I would do a whole lot better. <laughs> so to be fair, <laughs> fight or flight, the brain shuts off. Right. Instinct takes yeah. over. <laughs> right. Well, fight, um, flight or freeze. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how sophisticated it gets, though. Like, if I was to hop a plane, would it walk <laughs> itself to a pl- to a terminal? Would it do a self-checkout kiosk at Southwest and find its way? I the- don't know. The, the The director has said that, yes, it could, but yeah. in Q&As. But I don't think he really thought about that when he was writing it. No, and that's that's me That's me being difficult. That's that's obviously not the point. No, I mean, but you fair. did put in the docket, Nicole, you know, what are the rules? Do the rules for the evil entity seem consistent? I would say they're consistent, but there's like some of it 
that like why doesn't it just make itself a really tall person with long legs so it can travel <laughs> the distance faster like stuff like that like i would the rules are consistent but there's like there are those little nitpicks that we that podcasting just loves to do <laughs> right and that's what i'm here for because <laughs> i profiled this thing i mean yeah, it, could, it, could, it could walk its it could walk its butt onto a onto a bus and get there a little bit quicker yeah. But I mean, it uses doors. It goes through windows. It could. It could. We. I mean, we. We talk about the rules. We don't really know many rules. No. We get a handful of them, and we don't know how accurate they are because, as we learned really quickly, Hugh is not a reliable source of information or a trustable person. <laughs> it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you, back in the car. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It could look like anyone, but there's only one of it. Sometimes, sometimes I think it looks like people you love just to hurt you. And that's what I've always wondered about this movie is how does he get the rules? Because he at least knows that it will double back. You know, that seems like a very important rule, unless it's happened to him. He said the girl who gave it to him did the same thing to him, what he does to Jay. Right. He teaches because it's in my best interest to keep you alive. Oh, okay. I remember now. Yes. So it did so, double back for him. Okay. So not if, only is he getting the rules, but we're getting the telephone game of rules. Right. right. If I'm not so, mistaken, the girl that dies in the beginning is the one in the picture with him. I don't think think so it's i thought i i thought that i had read that it was but i could uh, be wrong they're similar looking uh, i'm not sure but i just given the way the food chain's going i'm like jay's jay is not used first time at the rodeo no he's done this before yes he's done this mm-hmm. a lot yeah. and that makes him a, he's a monster and this is oh what really struck me this time i'm like there's a scene where very that first scene where, where jay's in her pool and the sister comes she's like oh you're going with that guy Going out with that guy now? She's like, yeah, I like him. The sister knows him. Yeah. He's been to the house. Right. This is not their first date. We see them go on two dates before this thing's happened. And they, so he's seducing these girls for a really long time. He's made, letting let, let their guard down and, and trust them and meet their families. You're a monster, sir. And then dumps her on the ground like garbage when he's done with her. Right. Yeah. No, per- no clothes, no purse, which means no ID. Yeah. Ugh. And I just had my wallet stolen, and I know how hard it is to live with that idea. I mean, this guy <laughs> is cruel. Yeah, I hate that part. I hate. Ugh. And and he makes this comment that Nicole put in her docket. You know, it should be easy for her. She's a girl. Like, she can pass it off really quick. Uh, you know, as if he has to go, you know, ugh, there, there's a lot going on. Do you want to talk about that, Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> it's just this. I'm going to punt it off to you. It's just one of those infuriating things that, a lot of teenage boys seem to think yeah. is that it would be easy for a girl to have sex if she wanted to. And that's not always the case. <laughs> Plus she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to do this to somebody right? else. You know, she's got some morals. This girl does. For now. For now. For she's now. got some morals. Yeah. For now. Until she sees those those boat boys. She's trying to hold on to that. She's trying to figure out a way to handle this without passing it to somebody else. 
She had no problem passing it to Greg. The boat boys. You mentioned the boat boys, David. I got so many problems with the boat boys. If a girl swims up to your boat in a cast, this is neither time nor place. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I thought it the, it's funny because I, I watched it two times this week, but I saw it in the theater. And I was very fortunate I got to see it on the big screen. And it really does add a lot yeah. in terms of the paranoia and searching the frame for things. But the first time I saw it, I assumed, sure, not only did she have sex with somebody on the boat, she had sex with everybody on that boat. But then the second time, I kind of wonder, I wonder, I think maybe she came back without doing it. Because when she talks to Paul later, and he says, you know, you you could pass it on, she's Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, well, you did with Greg. And he said, I shouldn't have. Mm, yeah. yeah, she. Yeah, I, I get. Mm. The, I got kind of mm. that feeling too. Of I like, don't know. she considered it, but it's like it's left. I think it's ambiguous. ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. If she told them, she didn't give them the rules, and also she said yeah. she if she if she did it with them, she didn't tell them the rules because they're all dead real quick. Right. Yeah. Right. Real quick. <laughs> yeah. It's back super fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed with Greg, where she did it with him, and it took three days. Yeah. And and she said Greg, because Greg passed it on twice. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, Greg's a dirt bag yeah uh, but she also said like greg's not scared that's why yeah. you know yeah, he she doesn't thought, believe he, right. he we've set up that greg is a pig right and something <laughs> happened with them that she didn't like there's that scene where he where he takes her uh to that lake house of his and he's showing her how to shoot the gun yeah and he's like yeah i really should have been nice to you and she's just like snapping one word answers back to him. And she, he said something really intimate and then her face changed and then she's able to hit the bullseye. She hates this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did something to make her hate him. And then she passed it on to him. Oh, I thought he'd be okay. Really, Jay? Is that what you're telling yourself <laughs> or is that what really happened? And, and that's, that's where Paul might wind up an incel. I'm inclined to agree with you, Nicole. I mean, Paul's got a heavy case of nice guy syndrome in, toward the end of this movie. He's very distressed at the fact that no one seems to notice how nice of a guy he thinks he is. Oh, he's got it throughout mm. this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to have to disagree on that because, first of all, she has sex with him. She rapes him. She climbs on top of him while he's asleep. Is he asleep in the movie? And had sex with him. Wait. I I thought... No, no. Oh, he's not asleep. No. I don't That's think so. That's what it looked like to me. He was under covers, and she came over with her covers, took his covers off, and climbed on top. I didn't see any consent. But whatever. They had yeah. sex. Either way. Yes. But then the next thing you see is him out cruising those sex workers. I said, she's got... Her own assassin now. She's, he's got, she's, he's, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pass it on to protect her. That's the princess that Paul has to save. So he's gonna be, I don't think Paul's gonna have any problem passing this on. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. I think, like I said, this turns them into monsters. And none of this is in the script. It's all implied. Like, it, it, they, right. they leave everything very ambiguous. Like I said, I used to be a, I was training to be a profiler. I have relatives in the FBI that said, this kid has logic that would match this. And so this is what I do when I watch horror movies. And that's why, the whole thing is to spot patterns, spot the way people behave and just connect dots and just come up with an idea. It doesn't matter if it's right. It just might paint a picture of what's actually going on in a crime scene. And that's what I do with movies. And that's why I was painting it this time going, that kid is going to F everybody to save her. So she doesn't have to do it. And you mentioned in the doc, you know, that it also likes to play with its food and yeah. that you had a lot to say about cruelty and the inherent sexuality, the guises it chooses. I mean, it really does like to play with it. It could get you a lot quicker, seemingly, than it intends to. 
because it, I mean, I mean, or that it could because it, it plays with her. Yeah. Like that first appearance when it's the old woman. I kind of see it as going, okay, this is the first time it's going to be you and me. I want to see how sharp you are. And to just to say, oh yeah, what he told you is real. I'm not supposed to be, this person should not be in this scenario. And let's see how you handle it. But then the next time, then the next time it shows up as that girl in the living room who looks like she has been raped. Yeah. Like her, her, her dress is torn, her shirt is torn, her breast is hanging out, her teeth are knocked out. It's kind of, hey, here's a glimpse of your future. This is what I'm going to do to you. This is someone I've been with. This, this is history repeating itself. And then it's coming as relatives and people you trust. It's mean. It's a mean, mean, mean little monster. And then naked roof men. Naked roof grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds crazy, no? But here in our little village of Anatevka, you might say every one of us <laughs> is a naked man on the roof. Sorry, I'm a musical theater. No, okay. but like you all, <laughs> you did mention there, Doc, you know, Nicole, and I agreed with you that, you know, if it's supposed to try to get you and it can look like anyone, then why would it give itself away as being incorrectly dressed for its surroundings? Is it something that operates more on instinct than intelligence? And, and maybe that is part of it, that it is toying with you and it, it wants you to know sometimes that it's there. It's got all the time in the world. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. It's like, well, why are these why are these people naked? <laughs> like half the time the monsters either mostly wearing white or mostly you're entirely naked. Here's the thing though. It's it's only naked. I guess I'm thinking back to the scene in which uh, Dirtbag, what's what's his name again? Greg. No, there's a couple Hugh. of Dirtbags. Greg. Oh, which oh, one? <laughs> Greg. Greg or Hugh. There so many, so many just movies drowning in Dirtbags. When, when Greg gets killed by by It, you know, um, masquerading as his mother, it makes a point to masquerade as his mother in her nightgown. So at first I was like, oh, it's just showing up like naked a lot. But no. Not if it'll get you to open the door and think that it's what it what you think it is for mm -hmm. a moment, you know. So it does have a little bit more strategy mm -hmm. beyond that. Because when the door opens, she does, again has that right breast hanging oh, yeah, out. That's right, a signature does. breast, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wants to get yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So moving on to some of our other discussion topics, um, we're going to spend the next forty minutes and talk about the Kindle clam. So uh, cancel any plans <laughs> you have for the next hour and a half. Okay, so many questions. Kindle Clam. What is that thing? She's reading a book off of it. She's using it as a flashlight. It's ostensibly a cell phone, but also the movie is the movie plays with a, a sense of time. Yes. In the sense that like you see some modern cars, but also old TVs and the kids dress fairly contemporary, but the cars they drive are really old and the places they go are old and none of them have cell phones. But one kid has the Kindle Clam, and I just love the Kindle Clam. Yeah, and the girl at the beginning, Annie, has a cell phone that she calls her dad on to say goodbye. Oh, does she really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Also, their costumes keep changing, not according to the weather. Right. They're wearing winter coats. Then the next thing, they're going swimming. Then it's fall clothes. Then it's back to summer clothes. It's this whole dreamlike feel. Like, when is this happening? Mm -hmm. The sky is all gray and the leaves are falling, but all the lawns are bright green. Which I, I really, like, really like. Interesting. It is contemporary setting. But is purposely trying to give you a 1980s feel is the vibe I get from this movie. Mm. Yeah, I think mostly, yeah, yeah, because you'd still have stuff from the 70s hanging yep. around while in your 80s mm -hmm. home, particularly if you're not tremendously wealthy. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a house with you know avocado carpet and and above ground pool, wicker furniture indoors, and you know just things that were not 
fabulous. I we had that crushed gold sofa. Yeah. <laughs> the crushed gold velvet sofa that's in the movie. I was like it's my house and that same ucky patterned wallpaper that you know is 3D if it had the, the yeah. texture to it. <laughs> it's just that like when it would do it it would be immersive. Like all of a sudden we're in a room that's distinctly 70s and then we're in a kitchen that is clunky 80s yeah. colonial style furniture and things like yeah, that. I like that. And her bedroom in particular She's got lamps in there that are 1960s all the way that no teenager would have. Oh, the, the movie <laughs> next to when I, I sitting on IKEA furniture. The, the, the house, particularly that living room and kitchen, looked like Winona Ryder's about to start stringing up colored lights and start talking to her son underground or whatever the first season of Stranger Things was. I can't remember at this point. <laughs> it's, it has that aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's um, so yeah, I actually don't have much more to say other than the clam. Apparently, the director did mention it in an interview and said that it's purely to. Here, I have the quote here. He says, uh, the characters are trapped in a nightmare, which in hindsight can explain some of these strangely out of place, weird things or technologies like the clamshell e-reader. So that's actually kind of cool. Um, but I want, I want the clamshell e-reader now. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of it. And since we're talking about the clamshell e-reader, what she's reading, The Idiot by Dostoevsky, is completely relevant to everything yep. that's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Particularly those quotes. Like that last quote where she says, it's all about death. Like it's inevitable. What if we just let it yeah. happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the worst thing would be that the, the pain of the wounds cover up the fear that you're feeling in those last minutes, that last half minute, that last second. And the worst thing is knowing that it is certain yeah. that you're going to die. Right. And the moral thing for these kids to do would be, let it get me. And then it goes down the line, gets the next one, gets the next one, then it'll be over. Then it'll be done. Then it'll starve to death. But no, that lizard brain is kicking in. And so let's kill people instead. We could pretend we're not. We're just... And also that also 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 the the quote I realized the worst thing is knowing that it is certain. It, uh, I know David's been waiting to say something. So. Oh, it's it's way past. Uh, we, we've, we've moved on other times. I can edit I just, it back. I just wanted to point out that the movie theater is the one that the Evil Dead that Evil Dead premiered in. Uh, the one with the oh, organ. Yeah. Yes, ah, very cool. Yeah. That's cool. Even the movie charade that they've picked. It's all about Eldrin Hepburn realizing she can't trust anybody that she knows. They're all trying to kill her. <laughs> um, hmm? So this movie, I, I call it the Charlie Brown syndrome in the sense that like it's very selective about what parents it shows you and like adults, and, <laughs> and it really doesn't show you. Like it never shows you her mom, and, and they, they they give you an explanation for it. Well, but her mom is always like in the corner of the frame, or she's a little bit out of focus. But there's. Except for when she's in the hospital, there is always that glass of wine nearby. Yes. <laughs> always. When she's sitting there talking to her friend, when she's fallen asleep, there's one on the nightstand. You know, every time you see her, there's that glass not too far away. There are kids screaming in her house and she doesn't wake up. Yeah. At one point in the bedroom, like during that attack where, where they're all locked in the bedroom at the house and someone's knocking at the door. She says, Mom. Which means mom's home, and mom has not woken up for any of this. Mm. And as we hear from Greg's mom, those people are so (laughs) (laughs) Those people are a mess. (laughs) Yeah, and and, and there's there's part of it that makes it less scary to me when you don't incorporate those characters, because I have that suspended belief of... I have to suspend my belief as to why they would not become involved at some point. But I don't know if it matters too much for this movie. The only two faces of adults that you see are the faces that it uses. Right. Yeah, I mean, it uses a teacher. No, it doesn't use a teacher, but we see the teacher. It uses uh, the two moms, Greg's mom and uh, Jeff's mom. Okay, interesting. But not my two moms. They're the only faces you see. And I also love when you when you meet Jeff's mom, which is twenty minutes after that scene, yeah, where she's walking <laughs> naked through that that 
whatever that structure right. is in Detroit, that there's no dun, dun, dun. Right. <laughs> though this movie has plenty of that. It doesn't tell you. The movie doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you. It wasn't even until this conversation that I realized that was Hughes slash Jeff's mom. Yeah. I, didn't, yeah. I had no idea. Now, this movie rewards repeat viewings, mm-hmm. definitely. Now, speaking of those dun dun dance, the movie does have a couple of those. And David, you noted our soundtrack yes. in, in it. Oh, I love, I love this soundtrack. I listened to the soundtrack. It's a great it soundtrack. Is, but it's, it's got those disaster, those piece. vibey sense of of you know despair in the background. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, the, the score is absolutely pulling from Tangerine Dream. Yeah. Like Philip Glass. And mostly John Carpenter's music. 100%. That's right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yes. it's and I love that it's a synth, which makes which makes it cold and inhuman. Right. 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 It's only one person making the array of sounds using the machine. That sound like that sound like instruments, but aren't really those instruments. Right. They're they're, right. they're, they're imitating it. Oh yeah. I mean, last movie ghoul around, we certainly had a a solid ten minute you know rhapsodizing of John Carpenter in the Halloween reboot, or I guess. <laughs> sequel slash whatever it is uh <laughs> yeah i mean i i love the music in this movie and and it is perfect for the style now i want to go back a moment though because you mentioned like these these desolate you know ramshackle buildings in detroit and i think it was you patrick that put in our docket that you know it's become i think you said the american transylvania for a brief shining moment in horror movies, Detroit became the American Transylvania. It was used in this movie excellently. It was used brilliantly mm-hmm. in um, Only Lovers Left Alive and also in Don't Breathe, the first oh, one. Oh, yeah. Right. And one of the actors... That's just this haunted, emptied ruins of a city. One of the actors in Don't Breathe is in this movie, if I'm not mistaken, right? I don't remember the first one. I saw it, and it kind of went in one ear and out the other. I liked it, but it's... Yeah, it's... um. 
I had it up a second ago. It hasn't been streaming anywhere, so I haven't. Daniel seen it. Zavato was also in Don't Breathe. Oh, oh that's Greg. Greg. Oh. Yeah. Greg's working a lot. <laughs> Greg's working a lot. Yes. Uh, Yara, Yara was a uh, cast in The Deuce on HBO. Oh. So you know she's nice. Yeah, Detroit's become like a shorthand for this. This is a destroyed city. This is a city that's fallen. That's mm-hmm. most of the people who are left here are in poverty because they can't afford to move out of this city where the industry's up and gone. But yeah, I did want to backtrack just a little bit to talk about the music. The music is by uh, the composer goes by Disaster Piece. <laughs> yeah, and this is his first film score, and it's just because he wrote the music for this little video game back in 2012 called Fez. The director absolutely loved, and he loved the music for it, and he called him up one day, and he says, Hey, how'd you like to write the music for this movie I'm doing? (laughs) And I think he mostly worked with some notes and some ideas on what sorts of things would happen in the movie, what moods they wanted to evoke. He didn't do it the way a lot of composers do, which is, you know, watching the film and composing from there. Right. Mm -hmm. This was in done separately kind of deal. Very cool. Yeah. Composing with, uh, there's a number of composers that started in video games and got like called up. Like the, the other big one that um, I think of is Michael, Michael Giacchino did a bunch of like video games before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Becoming, you know, the guy that he is today. Um, but yeah, the d- uh, disaster piece. I mean, who just, I, God, I love the soundtrack. But he's done just a lot of really great, like some video games, did a great episode of Adventure Time. Um, It's just a very talented, interesting musician. Love it. Very cool. So let's let's round about to that final confrontation where the kids, they drive all out. They, you know, break into a YMCA or something like that. And they they booby trap this pool. Detroit public pool. Yeah, with with all sorts of, you know, um, CRT TVs and hair dryers all plugged in, ready to be pushed into the pool. Now, you know... Lamps with no light bulbs in them. (laughs) Yeah, now now both, both David and I both seem a little bit baffled by this, but it seems to me like the... The idea was lure it in and somehow push everything in and electrocute it, even though yes. she yeah. doesn't... I don't know. There's not a good plan on getting Jay out of the pool. Right. No. Once the entity gets And they in didn't there. even consider it's trying to kill her. What if it pushes the things in the pool? When I saw this movie the first time, the person that I went with, we came out and he said, that was great. That was like an episode of Scooby-Doo, but with full frontal nudity. <laughs> 
and that's the quote for thank your friend because that's the quote that's going to be on the uh, episode you're welcome joe borelli <laughs> hi joe but um the director is quoted on this scene saying it's a stupid plan because they're 17, 18, 19 years old. It's right. a kid's plan. It's an impossible situation. And also, there is a they got it from watching TV, one of the movies, the, right. the, the, the uh, uh, Japanese yeah. movie that they're watching and saying, well, we could try to shock it with a whole lot of electricity, but we'll blow all the circuits or something like that. So it's set up at some point that this going to give it a shot. In my opinion, the... the- scariest this movie gets is when she is stranded in a pool while this thing is chucking electronics in it is a horrific scene um it's it's terrifying and i forgot even scarier once you again once you do see that it is a a vision of her father doing it but Mm -hmm. oh my god is it horrifying because it is it is not just like kicking stuff in and waiting for the electricity to do its work it is chucking stuff at her head it's chucking it's got great aim. Too. Really good aim. It's got yeah, great aim. It does. It does. And yeah. I, I, I'm still mad at them that Plan F was throw a blanket over it to find out where it is. That was actually the smartest thing was, any of them did. But it took. It took so. Should have done that before you shot in the same direction where your friend was. Yes. Yeah. You shot blindly hey, at Yara. Remember? Oh, you're mad that it's Plan F instead of Plan yeah. A. Yeah, that should have been the first <laughs> step. Throw a blanket over it. Remember earlier on when I was saying that people would swear to God that there was movement in the water in that lake scene when it was descending on Annie? Mm. I, watching it this time, would have sworn to God that the father was naked in this last scene. And I guess it's just wishful thinking, <laughs> but I would have sworn to God. That. I don't think so. I don't think so. I remember him in like his, he's like in a t-shirt and boxers. No, he you is know, clothed. But. No. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. Yeah. I, I was watching going, hey, he's not nude. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. Hey, I want my, I want my money back. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and all this not enough dong in this movie. That's Patrick. And, and all of this, I mean, you know, I, fun- I'm with it. <laughs> He's not wrong. He was hot. <laughs> all this funnels into a, a topic that Patrick put in, which is you know people either love or hate the fact that it has no given backstory, no rules to defeat it, and that would lead a bunch of confused seventeen year olds to do something stupid like this. But Patrick, you right. like that about this, right? I do. Well, I find in general when. In horror, it it relies on ambiguity. It relies on the unknown. It's what's lurking in the shadows that scares you. Once you can, once it steps out and you see what it is, you have an idea how how to defeat it. You know, it's kind of like the whole imagination thing, but too much backstory, too much explanation can just kill horror. You can get lost in backstories. Mm. And if all of a sudden it turned out to look, well, we need the sword of blah, blah, blah. Well, wait a minute. That sword in the book looks just like the sword that we're using in the high school production of Camelot. That kind of BS. <laughs> a lesser movie would have done that. I've seen stupider things in horror movies because believe me, I've seen a lot of terrible horror movies. Right. But people like that because it's safe. Yeah. And if if they don't tell you anything, they pull, it, it, it stresses people out. And I get that. This is This is one of the first really, really, really divisive movies. Um, what they call art house movies now, which a lot of horror movie fans like to turn their nose about. Oh, you're an art house movie fan. Things like The Witch and Heredity, something recently, but you know that sort Midsummer, of thing. Yeah, Midsummer. Oh, oh, the blood battles in the horror movie groups about Midsummer. You can't even talk about them. Like Midsummer is banned. Do not post anything yep. about Midsummer. And I get it. I get it. But you know, am I, I mean, I watch a lot. My taste mature. I, I like things that engage my brain and make me think more mm. because what's in your head is always going to be a million times scarier than anything that they can put on the screen. 
something in this movie though that I think could have been interesting to explore, and it's not not a, not to its detriment, and maybe this was better that it was done the other way around, is that you do have that small explainer from Hugh or whatever his name is, where he tells her exactly what's going to happen, and then that does set the groundwork for the movie. Part of me wishes that she would have discovered in the movie on her own that this thing goes backward, because I think that'd be a really horrifying revelation that if you believe that you passed it on, you're a okay. That person dies and now it's back like that would be a lot scarier to me. Yeah, that would have. I don't know. Like she was obviously traumatized by the sexual experience where she was then Clora formed and (laughs) tied to a chair. Like, I mean, even if, yeah, I don't know. I think too much time would have passed between like getting ghosted by this guy and then her being ready to like sleep with someone else that it would have gotten to her by then. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't imagine being ready to go anytime after she went through what she went through. Yeah. I mean, even 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 if he didn't like even if he didn't tie her up and all that and just like but just slept with her and then the next day disappeared. Like she really liked him. That's gonna take time. Right. You know? No, that that's fair. Well, yeah, but I mean she's doing it for survival. She's not doing it to right. get her jollies. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, moving on, some of our other discussion topics. We got we have so many this episode. Uh, There's so much to unpack in this movie. There is a lot, <laughs> and now we can. It's deceptively simple, but there's so much to unpack. But something I'm not sure if there is something to unpack, but I'll let Nicole attempt to do so is the windows in Hughes' hideout, because <laughs> I just don't know what's there. And I, you took a screenshot I, of it, and uh, I zoomed in on what you sent me, yes. and I still don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it's just I think it's just Sunday newspaper up on the walls. Yeah, but okay. So if you haven't seen if well if you haven't seen the movie, shame on you for not watching. You've been it with us fifty minutes. How, now. How'd you get this but, far into the episode? <laughs> right. But the window in Hugh's hideout, though, in his upstairs room with his mattress and his porno magazines and his wadded up tissues. Gross. Oh boy. Um. <laughs> is papered over and there's a layer of the color comic pages from Sunday but there's also this layer of I don't know if it's black and white posters or comic book pages or quite what's going on but the overall effect to me is like a stained glass window full of demons Mm. You know, the black and the black and white provides these patterns that are kind of symmetrical and they look like big snarling faces mm. that are on the window from far away. I mean, nice. like the one on the left looks like venom if you look at it. But, you know, so I'm just disappointed that you guys aren't going to help me with this because I was hoping one of you would know what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this scene. Yeah, I, I said to Nicole that uh, I comics is not my forte and i thought if we could recognize what comic it is the way everything else has been so specific carefully selected yeah. what goes in the film that we may be able to figure out what a connection was but i don't know what it is and i couldn't find anything online right. it's kathy it's, it's comic strip kathy <laughs> ack. Ack, ack. Uh, yeah no no drat that irving my confusion in that scene is mostly that these supposedly modern boys are all just fascinated with analog porn they just <laughs> all of them <laughs> Well, that's yet another thing that's unmooring it from place and time. Right, exactly. They were all mm-hmm. 80s magazines. They yep. were all 80s magazines that he had. So again, right. it's a time warp thing. Absolutely. And 
why would you keep your like one of your treasured photos in the middle of your porn mix? <laughs> well, he's keeping his place, cause, you know, because he's reading. He he has it for the articles. He has it for the articles. So <laughs> there's that recipe in there that's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He finished with Betty. Now he's got to go on to Christine. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he'll come back when he come when he but tomorrow night when he comes back to it. He's gonna pick up where he left yeah. off. <laughs> You know what? I think you cracked it, David. Uh, so, moving on. Wow, if not. we had to deal with an infection like this to ensure survival, how would we deal with it? Nicole, you're going to make us all question our morals here, aren't you? I am. Oh, man. I am. What would you do? What do you, what do, you do? Because do you give up? Do you come up with a foolproof plan somehow? Do you come up with like the world's most deadly multi-level marketing scheme oh, to try to spread this around? <laughs> I, I think for me, this is like hopping on LinkedIn, first of all, and find... I'm already, I already work up for a remote job, so maybe I just keep my current job. But I, you need to be able to be on the move, right? In order to not have a moral right. quandary. Right. You need to either like preferably get over a body of water, a large one, like an ocean. I think that's what I would do is I would circumvent the entire option. Hmm. I mean, eventually I'm going to have to make some sort of decision. I don't know what that is. But it's almost morally i mean you know patrick brought up the point it's morally responsible to just let the chain die but then at the same point if it's a long chain it might be more morally responsible for you to just run around forever get a get a winnebago what happens if someone kills himself i don't want to this is going to get dark yeah let's not let's not get yeah get a winnebago (laughs) if you have a remote job great if not you know work for for some gas and food money become an influencer and you just go just drive Drive around the country in a box shape. You just, you spend your days on the road. You're going, you know, north and then you go west and then you go south and then you go east and just kind of continue forever. Those are all the directions, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we only know the rules as was explained to Jeff and as he's intuited them, we might not know everything you could do. Maybe it can teleport. Because it seems like Jay drives really far, right. but it still shows up That's really That's what I thought. Quickly, is it at, even yeah. though it's supposedly just walking. Even when Greg, you know, drives him out to his little ranch or whatever, and it would presumably be many, many hours to walk where they went. So I think you're right. Like, I think it, it's got to do the last leg on foot. But I don't know if this thing can, you know, portal on over to you or not, or if it can just assume the... I don't, I don't know. You're right. We don't know the rules, and that makes it hard to make that decision. Mm-hmm. There's... There's uh, the, the game Resident Evil 2. They did a great remake of it a few years ago. There's this character named yeah. Mr. X who follows you around the police station. Somebody, Mr. X, he totally is. <laughs> yeah, so, but that somebody um, did, you know. Mr. Triple X, they, I like it. <laughs> they hacked it so they could, like, get the camera out. And what they saw is what what Mr. X does is he just moves through the police station really quickly until he's, like, two rooms away from you. Then he's just slowly walking. So that's probably what it's got until it gets close. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of speed running all around. Because that's the good part. This is the good part. This is the thrill of the hunt. Let's see what you're going to (laughs) do. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Does anyone else have any thoughts on how they would handle themselves in the situation? Um, This is a tough one for me, just because, like I said, I'm sticking with the AIDS metaphor. I, the the idea of me getting somebody else sick is horrific to me. Yeah. So I don't see me being in a big hurry to pass it on i don't see myself giving up either but then again you don't know what you can do until you're pushed to the brink like two Mm -hmm. weeks down the line when i haven't slept in four days 
Right. Yeah. And I'm out of money and no place left to run. Who knows what I would do? And also, as a gay man, it would be really easy to pass it on. <laughs> you know, one li- you know, one end on Craigslist and you can have <laughs> – I'm just saying. Right. There, there's, a, there's a lot – sexuality is a lot easier in my community with no connections. Yeah, it's – it's a tough one. I mean, Nicole, we're going to throw this back on you if you're going to make us question our morals. <laughs> I don't know. Until, you know, until I stopped and thought about the fact that you know, maybe it can you know, teleport to within, I don't know, 25 miles or something, and then it has to start walking <laughs> or some something like that. Until I thought of it that way, I was just like, well, I'll just I'll get on a plane. I'll go across the ocean. I'll start riding the rails across the thing but then what if it gets on the train with you then you're not far from it at all so you'd have to keep changing mm. your mode of transportation you wouldn't be able to trust anybody except for you never go to the same place twice yeah you can't go to the same place twice you got to keep it would be exhausting and expensive you know i was i was only up till like 1 30 in the morning last night and my brain ceased functioning i thought that my headphones had broken when really i had muted it and i didn't notice (laughs) even though i had done it deliberately you know 10 minutes prior i had muted it and then i was suddenly oh my god they're broken it doesn't work anymore i'm just i'm just gonna go to bed i'm just gonna i give up i'll come back in the morning and we'll fix it and we'll have to break it to everybody that can't do the podcast because my earphones aren't working (laughs) and that's just that's just with missing like three hours of sleep that's with being Mm. awake for like 20 (sighs) hours straight and Mm -hmm. you would be unable to be rational in any way after a while yeah so i'm not Mm -hmm. sure what i would do you know i'm do you do you go to a brothel or a sex party and you know tell Tell every, I guess, tell everybody first. Yeah, way to bring the vibe down in a sex party. It's like, hey, I have this curse. If you, you know, if you pass it along, you'll be fine. But I have this curse. Does anybody want to help me with it? <laughs> Just see if anyone volunteers. Who hears from out of town? <laughs> well, you know that old rule. That old rule. If you say that, old, if you tell someone whatever you do, don't push that button. Exactly. See, all they want to do, I want to do, is push that button. I think some people would think it's a challenge. Yeah. Hey, who hears getting? <laughs> Who's getting on a plane tomorrow? Raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, we'll end the discussion with, is it following them at the end? I I think so. I mean, here's the thing. Mm. No matter what it is, I mean, well, no, it's not. You can always see it, but it only follows you if you're at the top. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say. You know, did Paul pass it along or is it following Paul at the end? I don't know. I don't know. I looked... You know, there's a figure in the background coming up behind Paul and Jay that we see in the because the camera, like it is about half the time during this movie, everything is dead center of the frame, just so you have lots of places to look all the way around. But, <laughs> you know, there's a person coming up behind them and they're wearing black and white and care thing wears white when it wears clothes, but it's moving too fast. The figure behind them is walking mm. just a little bit too fast. Mm. It's got a very deliberate pace to it. I mean, who knows? You know, maybe the rules are wrong. Maybe it can move a little bit faster. Maybe it. Maybe there is more than one of it. Maybe. We don't know mm. for sure. So I'm sure they'll try to come up with a sequel for it. Hopefully they won't. I would love it if this stayed standalone. 
Director has no interest and he won't sell the rights. Good. <laughs> Good. Like, I don't want to see a, I don't want to see an It Follows 2. I don't want to see a Babadook 2. Because they'll start explaining it. <laughs> right. I don't need explanation. I don't, kn- I don't need to know why Leatherface is wearing his mom's skin. I don't need to know that for it to be creepy and scary. And it's even, it's less scary if you try to explain it. So, you know, I would rather have it this way. It also follows. No, no, no. Yeah, and in fact, the the co-president of the studio that put it out said that they wanted to make a possible sequel. The idea was flipping the concept of the first film around, with Jamie or another protagonist going down the chain to find the origin of it. But that's too explainy. Exactly. exactly. I mean, that, that could be kind of interesting, I guess, but why? In the right hands. Yeah. Yeah, that's the tricky bit. But yeah, it's a trick. Can I can I tell my funny story? It's totally relevant. That's why I have it here at the very end. Go ahead and tell us. <laughs> oh, okay. Yay! Yeah, see, that's what that's why he's okay. That's why you're a fierce leader. That, that's 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 what I do. <laughs> that's why he's the moderator. Yeah. Okay. Picture it. Picture it. October 2014. <laughs> I got invited to a press screening way before the movie was even talked about coming out. I got invited by Tony Timponi who is the editor-in-chief of Fangoria Magazine. And if you don't know, Fangoria Magazine is the Bible for horror movie mm. fans. So it's this tiny little theater. I bring this Joe Borelli, who said that quote earlier. He's geeking out over Tony Tipponi. Tony Tipponi's sitting with the director of the film, whose name just eludes me. He's got three names. J- John. David Robert Mitchell. Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking, David. Thank you. <laughs> They're sitting in front of us. There's that scene after Jay gets dropped off. And she's in her bathroom, and she's looking at herself in the mirror in her underwear. Mm -hmm. And she's looking in her underwear in that kind of way, like she's been violated, looking for differences. And then all of a sudden, a ball hits the window. Yeah. One of the few jump scares of the film. I was the only person who reacted vocally. (laughs) In the highest, squeakiest little scream. (laughs) You can imagine. Now, unfortunately, this is going to be half visual, but Tony Tipponi and the director of the film do this slow turn. <laughs> they look at each other and they kind of go back to the movie and I heard them both go <laughs> <laughs> and start giggling. And then the giggling spread all, like the slow spray <laughs> all through the theater that went on for the next 150 years and the ground did not open up and swallow me. <laughs> oh, no. And Joe Borelli was like, you just got dissed by the king of horror and the, <laughs> the director of the Haas movie, the scariest horror movie I've ever seen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it, was, it was the gayest gasp. Gay gasp. <laughs> the gayest gay gasp ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. It was, it was a good jump scare. It was a good jump scare. I mean, well, because, I'm, because this guy knows how to do jump scares. He doesn't. It, there's that James yeah. Wan formula that everybody knows now. The music builds, 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 builds. It goes quiet. You count to five. People expect to jump on three, but it goes on five. But right. that's how it is in all those movies. And this movie never did that. God, you're so no. right, though. It is the James Wan formula. That is, that is modern horror to a T, James Wan. <laughs> Ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 yeah. I, I'm not happy. I think the biggest scare in this movie, unfortunately, they give it away in the trailer, mm. but it was still, it was still effective in the movie. It's still effective every time I watch it, mm. where, you know, she's hiding in the house. She knows the things in the house. There's knocking on the door. They ask, you know, is it mom? And she, no. And it's Yara. 
outside and she's like, don't open it. And they open the door and Yara's just standing there and she's like, shrugs one shoulder like, it's just me. what? It's just me. <laughs> you know, and she starts walking in and this giant comes up behind her. With the sunken her, eyes. With yes. the sunken eyes and just has to duck to come oh, in the door so frame. Good. And it is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, ah! You know, <laughs> not quite that That guy's that the tallest loud, man in the world, by the way. Yeah, I think he's one of the tallest set of twins in the world. Well, a, I, I, okay, yeah, I was going to say he's like one of the tallest in the world with his twin. I was going to say yeah. Twin, but yeah, yeah, he's seven foot seven. Wow. Yeah. Oof. Now, has anyone yeah. seen, um, it seems like several years following this, uh, the director had the opportunity to actually work with name brand talent and, and money, and he had a bunch of well-known actors and disaster piece come back for music to do a film called Under the Silver Lake. Has anyone heard of this? I've yes. heard of it. Haven't seen it yet, though. I tried watching it, but it was towards the beginning of quarantine, and it bummed me out really quickly, oh, no. and I turned it off. And I didn't. <laughs> I only found out today that he directed it, so I'm going to try to revisit it again now. Yeah, middling reviews. It's an A24 That's film. Like... That's nice he got some of that A24 money. Uh very cool. Oh, I might have to check that out. It's got Andrew Garfield and Topher Grace and Riley Coog. Yeah, several recognizable people in it. Cool. Well, back to It Follows. Uh, I think it's time to decide, is it a future classic? I will kick the ball on over to our esteemed guest first. Patrick, is it a, is it a classic? Is, are there any stipulations to that in what capacity or is it just not? Why don't you give us your, your verdict? I think so. I think there's so much in this that film people are going to be dissecting it forever because there's so much to dig into. But I don't know if it's going to live in my community because nobody talks about it anymore. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I mean, I think it's brilliant, but that's my opinion. I don't, I don't know. It's a tough one. These A24 ones, I, I, these art house ones, I don't know because there's so much backlash against them unless it gets recognized by not our community. I don't see it. See it becoming a classic, unfortunately. Yeah, we've had that discussion here many times, and it kind of boils down to what we've often referred to as the the film school student, you know, classic in some degree. <laughs> that there are there are certain films that we really love because we love to watch movies, and we know that people who also love movies and want to make movies or act in them are also going to love them for years to come. But it doesn't necessarily mean that on a large scale are people going to be showing up to It Follows showings 30 years from now i don't think so I, I i just don't know because similarly it has fallen out of i haven't thought about this since i saw it when it came out um and i haven't had anyone mention it to me since we brought it back up for this but i do think it is a masterful film i think it's very cool and has some great ideas and i'd love to see more of this and, and hopefully like a24 is making people more uh you know amenable to that style that that you know patrick refers to as art house because you you are seeing things like hereditary that yes they have that backlash in the community but they're kind of breaking through that a little bit they, you know they, they they got big name actors and they got pretty big budgets and they people go i actually see them in theaters so maybe the thing with the that type of film, the uh, we keep saying A24, there's a studio that tends to make these art yeah, for sure. films, is that they'll attract non-horror people. Yes. They'll attract people who don't mm-hmm. want to see a movie, they want to see a film. Correct. 
Yes. I personally don't love Hereditary, but I love Tony Collette, and that's kind of why I went. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I've grown to appreciate it, but I, I think you're right. You know, they, they attract a certain type of person. Um, but I'll, I'll kick it over to you, David. Uh, what are your thoughts on It Follows? Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about how well it's made. The music is amazing. Um, there's a, certainly a lot of great stuff here. I see it. I, I think it's definitely always going to have like a future. It's not going to be a, a forgotten film. I think to add on to kind of how you two are talking about it a bit, I'm going to channel Phil Root here. And something we talked about a lot on Brokeback Mountain when that show was going on, I could see this really living as a dorm room movie or dorm room poster movie, uh, where when you get to that age, you start discovering that movies can be about more than like what you've seen your parents showing you all your life. And, you know, that's, you see like kids got Donnie Darko posters up in there. Yeah. Like reservoir dogs and it follows (laughs) Scarface. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. I, I mean, I could see, yeah, I could see people having, you know, kids in college having it follows posters up in their, in their dorm room. And, that's not saying it's a bad movie. That's not dismissing uh, the film at all. Uh, I think this movie will always like have an audience and people will always discover it, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a horror classic in the sense of we all know. And even though I have not until recently seen nightmare on Elm street, I knew a lot about nightmare on Elm street. Uh, always going to know about Friday the 13th. It's never going to be mainstream classic, but it's always going to have its audience. And David, it's funny you mentioned that because this came out, what, 2014? 14. Okay. Mm-hmm. So th- this movie was introduced to me by a friend of the show and previous guest, Dominic Chikoki. And he literally brought a DVD copy of this movie to my dorm room <laughs> so we could watch it. So, Quite literally, we will we watch this as uh, him at least being a film student. I was not in our college dorm room, so you're probably right about that. Uh, but Nicole, what are your what are your final thoughts on your pick? I still argue that I think this is going to. I think people are going to come back around to this. I think the backlash is going to die down. I think people are going to come back around. I know that definitely people who are in sort of the horror academia really love this movie and they love picking it apart and they love talking about all the themes in it. I know that I really admire how well this movie is done. This movie is haunting. This was a movie that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. It's a very sticky movie in addition to being, you know, moist (laughs) in places. Uh, it's (laughs) It's not one that was easy for me to shake. And I had a similar feeling like when I came out of hereditary i'm like wow that was that was horrifying in like five different ways and i'm gonna be thinking about that uh telephone pole for weeks to come (sighs) and i'm gonna be thinking about that thing up in the corner of the room this movie i'm gonna be thinking about that giant coming through the doorway i'm gonna be thinking about that poor girl on the beach and her leg pointing the wrong way i'm gonna be thinking about something just trailing quietly behind you for the rest of your life, you know? And next time you're going on a walk or driving somewhere and one car keeps making too many turns that are exactly your turn behind you. Right. So, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a classic. I really do. 
but that's that's my opinion. Well, please let us know what you think, audience. We'd love to hear from you on It Follows. Email us, hi, hi, at mgrpodcast.com. This is the kind of film we want to hear from you on. We all have slightly different viewpoints, but we all really did enjoy it. Please let us know what you think of It Follows. But let's go around the horn one final time to see where we can find everyone online. Patrick, our guest, thank you for being here. Please let us know where everyone can find you and all the cool things you do. Okay, so hi, everybody. I'm Patrick Walsh. I'm the host of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. And by the way, that's Queens, one word spelled with a Z, like Liza. That's a gay joke. Deal with it. (laughs) Now, what you boys may or may not know that since I've last been here on Catwoman, Nicole and I have been stepping out behind your back. Nicole has been on two episodes. Since she's just done my, my season opener. We're talking about an A24 film, St. Maud. So if you like Nicole and you like A24, come and check out the show, which you can find at www.screamqueens.com. And again, Queens with a Z. And I'm on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Scream Queens with a Z. And Instagram, Scream Queens Podcast. Those are my places to find me. So find me. Love it. Very, very good. And especially... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Follow me. Right. See what I did there? See what I did there? See what I did there? <laughs> Patrick's doing that, huh? 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 Faces. Hey. Um... Especially this season, like if you're looking for something spooky in your podcast feed, like obviously Scream Queens is around and there's a huge backlog in multiple seasons. Check it all out for sure. But like if you're 12 years, oh my gosh, congratulations. But if you're in the mood for this, like now's the time, right? We are in October. So definitely check it out. Uh, David, where can people find you online? Davlas, D-A-V-L-U-Z, turn Instagram. Find me there. And Nicole. I just updated my letterboxed, and I'm at Nicole underscore Davis. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can find the show on MGRpodcast.com. That's where you can vote on You Did This to Us Weeks. It's where you have the opportunity to find all of the links that we've rattled off. And also, Patrick's will be in the show notes, so you can go ahead and get them there, too, because you can follow everybody. But particularly, stay tuned for those You Did This to Us, because that is your opportunity as the audience to go ahead and vote on what we are watching on the podcast. You get to torture us every five weeks. It's great. Uh, fun. Can't hey. wait to see what you did this time. But we will definitely see. I'm so sorry I won't be yeah, there. I know. But yeah, you, you got it last time around. So, But in the meantime, uh, watch the platform on Netflix for next week. That's Around the World with David's Pick. We will see you then. 